Last week, we began our churchwide campaign called The Master's Design. Now, for eight weeks in this series, we're going to take a look at God's design for the family. Now, all of us have some ideal picture of what a family should look like, right? Uh, maybe you have an idea of how a husband and a wife should be or how a parent and a child should be. We all have some ideas. And most probably, we got those ideas from our old families and from our old cultures. The question is, how good and right are those ideas? Does those ideas that we have really lead our families to flourish and grow together? Now, in this series, that's what we want to do. We want to recheck those assumptions that we have and cross-examine them to God's design for the family. To the degree that we're aligned to God's design, our families are really going to grow and flourish. Now, last week, we looked at some key foundations, how God renovates our families, right? Now, in the next several weeks, we're going to look at each family member and look at how God designed each role. And in the first two weeks here, we're going to take a look at the wife today. Next week, we're going to take a look at the husbands. But what we're really doing is we're looking at the marriage first because the first and most crucial relationship in any family is the marriage. The health of the marriage has a huge direct impact on the rest of the whole family. All the studies show that better marriages consistently lead to better families. Why? Because that's how God designed the family. It starts with the marriage. So let's start there. See, for us to understand the role of a wife or a husband, we need to understand what the marriage is all about. What's the context of, that, of those roles, right? What is a marriage about? What should it be? What is its design? We need to understand what that is before we can understand how to be a good wife, how to be a good husband. Now, if you're single, by the way, this message is still for you because if you're looking to marry one day, then this is the best time to start thinking about this. Even if you're not looking to marry, the principles here can be just as applicable to just about any kind of family, right? So this is, this is for everyone who has a family and who has a marriage. So what is God's design for marriage and for the role of a wife? Well, here's what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5. Wives, Submit your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, maybe you don't really like what this passage is saying, because there's the command that says wives should submit. Eh. Now, maybe you don't like that. But like I said, Let's take a step back first because we need to understand what marriage is all about. What is the biblical vision for a Christian marriage? So, let's take a look at what Paul says about this. What, can, what does God say about this? Three things about marriage that we can see. There's a design of marriage. 
there's the challenges of marriage, and lastly, there's the redemption of marriage. So let's look at the design, the challenges, and the redemption. First of all, what's the design of marriage? Well, down there in verse 31, we just read, Paul quotes something here. He says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now that last phrase, we often hear that in wedding ceremonies everywhere, right? And it's, it's beautiful, it's poetic, it's sweet and wonderful. But what does that phrase really mean, to become one flesh? Well, to understand this, we need to go to the original source where Paul gets this from. He gets this from the book of Genesis. And it's from the part where the book of Genesis shows us what happened between the very first marriage between Adam and Eve. Here's what it says. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Incredible passage. It's very rich, very meaningful. Well, first of all, notice here, where did marriage come from? Whose idea was it? Adam didn't come up with it. It was not Adam. It was God's idea. God thought of marriage. He created and invented marriage with a specific intention, with a specific design in mind. It was so that the two would become one flesh. Now, what does that exactly mean? Well, on the one hand, notice it says, a man shall leave his father and his mother in order to marry. Now, before, before you get married, who, to whom did you owe your highest obligations? Or perhaps your closest bond? To whom? It was your parents, right? But when you get married, that changes. Your spouse skyrockets to the very top to transcend all other human relationships. Now, that does not mean that your parents become less important. No, it just means that your spouse, the, your marriage is now the most important. It skyrockets to the very top to be the most important human relationship of all in your entire life. See, God meant for marriage to unite two people into one, to become so intimate, for their relationship to become so intense that they essentially become one unit in God's eyes. You know, there's this one time when people approached Jesus and asked him about divorce. You remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, what God has joined together, let man not separate. You know what Jesus is saying? He's saying marriage is not just some legal document between two people that you can, you know, cancel. No. Marriage is a binding covenant between two people and God. God himself joins them together. And what God has joined together, let man not separate. There's a permanence to that. Now, there may be some special circumstances where God may allow divorce. Yes, but even then, that's a decline from the design of marriage. God's original design is for one man, one woman 
for one whole life. There's a permanence to that. And this is incredibly vital to God's design. You know why? Because that permanence is what allows the deepest kind of intimacy to grow. It's what allows for that. See, when you know that someone will always be by your side, they'll never leave you, they'll never abandon you for life, for better or for worse, that permanence melts away the insecurities and the fears and the anxieties and the pretensions that you have with each other. It just melts it away. You know, both of you can let your guards down and just be completely real with each other. Just be completely you with her or with him. Because you're together for life, for better or for worse, in sickness and in health. You're permanently one. Marriage brings two people into that permanent space of stability and love. And so you can be completely real with each other. You can show them your warts. You can let them smell your farts and everything else in between, right? See, it says there, And the man and his, and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. See, in marriage, you become so intimate that you can be naked with each other whether that be physically or emotionally or spiritually or mentally you can be naked you can let yourself be seen and not be ashamed you don't have to hide anymore you don't have to be afraid anymore you don't have to be insecure about being abandoned anymore you're together for life there's no more hiding no more distance no more secrets that's what marriage is about you can be completely transparent and vulnerable with each other. That's what marriage is. There's this permanent space of stability and transparency and love. You're bound together for life. See, that's the context when we talk about the role of a wife. Now, what is the role of a wife? Well, Paul says this. He says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Wives, see that she respects her husband. So the wife is called to submit to their husbands, to called to respect their husbands. Now, wait a minute. Let's be clear here. Does the Bible put women down? Does the Bible see women as an inferior to the husband or to, the, to male people? Absolutely not. Listen, all throughout, especially the New Testament, you'll see that the dignity of women are elevated everywhere, every time. Men and women are equally valuable in God's sight, no less than any man out there. What the Bible talks about is not a difference in value, but a difference in function. Remember Adam? He lived in paradise, right? Before Eve came along, Adam was in this paradise. And remember what God said? God said, it's not good for man to be alone. Isn't that something? See, even in a paradise, even in a perfect world, man could not even live well without the partnership of women. See, Eve was the person that Adam needed to be more complete. Adam was missing something that only Eve could bring. She's the missing rib. And so 
you have to understand that in the context of marriage, what God was doing was that He was uniting two people, one man and one woman, into this complementary relationship where they make each other better, where they complete each other's strengths and weaknesses. In marriage, two become one, but that one is greater than the two. See, maybe you've seen this. You've seen this maybe in some couples who, who, who really embody this. When you see them together, they're much, much better people when they're together. They complement each other's strengths and weaknesses. They, they cover each other's blind spots. They, they, they rough out, they smooth out each other's rough edges in their personalities and habits, right? Together, they're much better. They're, they become greater than who they can ever be if they're separate. That's what marriage is. And that's the Christian vision, the Christian design for marriage. So see, when the Bible tells the wife to submit, you have to understand, it's not about male dominance or male superiority. No. It's not about competition for control or authority. No. When you view marriage as a power struggle, of course submission is ridiculous. Of course. But if you, if you view it in terms of what the Bible says it is, that the, that the marriage is not a competition but cooperation, then when you try to put in a paradigm of power struggle into it, that just doesn't make sense. It doesn't fit. It, it, it's like if your right hand is fighting with your left hand over who can, who can press the remote control buttons, right? It's silly because... They may, be, they may have different functions, but they're from the same body. Now, you have to understand, the Bible is saying that the husband and the wife are essentially just two different hands, but they're the same body, right? So it's, it's that oneness. There's an utter oneness. And therefore, if you understand that, then you can see that the leadership role and the submissive role are both just as crucial. They're both equally valuable and indispensable to a healthy marriage. In fact, you could even go on and argue that the role of the submission is even more crucial to the oneness of a marriage, right? Now you may say, okay, but why should be the wife? Why should the wife be the one to submit? Why can't it be interchangeable, right? Well, look, here's all I can say about that. If you look at the husband, God gave the husband the role of leadership, not because he's smarter or competent. I mean, do you know how often I rely on my wife for her intuition and her strength and her street smarts every day? I mean, if you just look through the Bible, most of the stupid mistakes recorded were not done by women, but by men. Men did those things. So it's not about men being better than women. No, obviously, we're not better than women. But God has given husbands the role of leadership because leading requires loving. And God is going to require from the husband the highest level of love, the highest degree of love, comparable to the love of Christ himself for the church. In other words, 
God gave husbands the role of leadership to bring the husband even closer to the wife, to, to, to bring them even into, into a closer oneness with the wife. On the other hand, God gave wives the role of submission. God gave them the role to respect their husbands. Now, at the very least, that means wives submit and respect to the leadership role the husband has received from God, right? So th- that means you, you, don't, you don't stonewall your husband until he gives in to what you want. You don't manipulate behind the scenes. You don't keep on nagging every chance you get. Instead, you respect your husband's leadership. Now, can I disagree? Can, can I express differences in opinion? Of course you can. Of course you can. You should. In fact, the Bible says, if you think something is wrong, you should speak the truth in love, right? You should. But you do it lovingly, respectfully. Not, not, you're not doing it to, to, to humiliate him or, or to gain advantage over him. No. You're speaking the truth in love. You're giving him the support and the dignity your husband needs so that he can succeed. Because if he succeeds, then your marriage succeeds. If he wins, you win. In other words, God gave wives the role of submission in order to bring the wife closer to the husband. So God gave the husband the role of leadership. God gave the wife the the role of a submission in order to bring both of them together into a closer oneness to make the two become one. So it's not about superiority, it's about unity. It's not about hierarchy, it's about intimacy. That's the design of marriage. And to the degree that our marriages align to that, the more we make an intentional, strong effort to to live up to that design of God, the healthier our marriages are going to be. The more life-giving it will be to us and to our spouse. Because that's the design of marriage. Well, okay then, but then number two, of course, there's the challenges of marriage. Because God's design sounds good in theory, at least. The problem, of course, we all know, is that no marriage ever works out that smoothly. You know why? Because the greatest strength of a marriage is also its greatest weakness. That is, marriage intensifies the relationship so much. It intensifies it so that there's this deep intimacy, but it also intensifies the bad things inside that relationship. I mean, just think about it. Before you got married, when you were single, you and your spouse, separately, you each had your bad habits, you each had your selfish desires, you had some character issues, you, you had some ugly, uh, ugly destructive tendencies, right? Both of you had that. Now, when you get married, none of that disappears, right? Your marriage does not solve or minimize any of that. If anything, you now have to live with it up close and personal with each other. And it exposes and it reveals more and more about these bad things inside you and inside your spouse. And you have to deal with it every single day from the moment you wake up to the moment you sleep, right? It's right there. 
and both of you are going to cause all kinds of havoc and hurt inside the marriage and without any intervention soon very quickly it can sour any marriage you know what's happening the bible says the fundamental problem in any marriage is the human heart see when adam and eve sinned god said one of the consequences of that sin is this god said to the woman god said i will surely multiply your pain child mary in pain you shall bring forth children and your desire shall be contrary to your husband and but he shall rule over you now that word desire is not a romantic desire it's a desire to control someone it's a desire to to, to rule over someone and notice the husband also does the same thing he shall rule over you in other words sin makes us turn our marriages into a power struggle who's right who's wrong who who wins who loses who gets their way and who doesn't who is served who is happy who who gets to who gets to say i'm right right sin turns our marriages into a power struggle and into a competition but do you see why that is so so dangerous inside a marriage the reason is marriage by itself is incredibly difficult and you're supposed to face marriage together as one unit you're supposed to face it together and cooperate to overcome those challenges but if you have if you're if sin separates you together you cannot face that i mean listen marriage is not easy right anybody who's been married for some time can can say that marriage is not easy it's difficult it's full of huge difficult challenges for one thing marriage brings with it a whole new range of responsibilities and freedom and choices that you never had to deal with before as a single person right all kinds of responsibilities and choices now when you get kids it's like you unlock a whole new level again and as you as your kids get older the challenges of raising them also evolve you have to learn you have to adapt right and of course along with that as you deal with all that you have to deal with all kinds of health issues you have to deal with all kinds of financial obligations you're dealing with not just with the relationships with your family but you have to maintain good relationships with a whole other new family with your in-laws right and a whole extended family also so and the list of challenges go on and on and on the point is marriage brings with it a lifetime of difficult challenges what's more is marriage is such a huge and life-changing thing that nobody really stays the same and the reality is the person you married on your wedding day is not going to stay the same person all throughout your marriage they're going to change just as you are also going to change and so what will happen is you will have to go through different seasons together where each of you both of you are going to have to learn to love a person you did not marry you're gonna have to make changes that you never wanted to make and so will your spouse you know stanley howard said 
The primary problem in marriage is learning how to love and care for the stranger to whom, you're to whom you find yourself married. Interesting, right? So marriage brings with it a lifetime of difficult challenges. But remember, remember, God designed marriage for the two to become one, to become that one unit. And that one unit is greater than the two. And so God designed marriage to unite you two together and to become greater and stronger together and, and so that you can face the difficulties of marriages together and overcome it together as you support each other, as you encourage each other, as you, as you, as you serve one another, you can overcome those difficulties together. In other words, the difficulties of marriage serve to make the marriage stronger, to bring you closer to each other, right? And you've seen marriages that turn out like this. They've faced many difficulties together, but they became more meek towards each other. They become gentler towards each other. They become humbler and wiser and more loving as people, right? They became better through the difficulties. That's how marriages should be. But the problem, of course, is sin. Because sin not only stops and breaks that all up, sin reverses the whole cycle. Reverses the whole cycle. I mean, what does sin do to you? Sin makes you unconcerned about the other person, about your spouse. You're more concerned about yourself. You're more self-absorbed, more self-centered. It's all about you. So when you disagree with your spouse, you want to insist on my way. You want to insist on my preferences, on my decisions, on my own wisdom. When you face difficulties, what do you do? You don't look to serve your spouse, to encourage your spouse. No, no. You look to your spouse and you say, what about me? What about my needs? What about serving me? What about supporting me? What about encouraging me? It's all about me, me, me. See, sin makes us self-absorbed, self-centered, selfish. And when we don't get what we want, what do we do? Well, our egos get bruised. Our angers flare up. Our bitterness takes root. We fight, we shout, we sulk. And in the end, what happens? Our marriages get weaker. The foundations crumble apart. So instead of difficulties strengthening our marriages, the difficulties actually weaken our marriages making that one unit weaker and splitting it apart so that the husband and the wife actually become weaker. So, because they're weaker, when the next difficulty comes, they're even more unable to cope with the difficulties because they're not together. They're separate. They're weaker. And so, since they're unable to cope, they become more self-centered. They become more self-absorbed. They become more selfish. And they become even weaker because of that. And on and on it goes. And on goes this vicious cycle of mutual self-destruction. It's a vicious cycle where the marriage becomes weaker and weaker until finally there's almost nothing left. That's a challenge. How can we put a stop to that? Number three, let's talk about the redemption of marriage. How can our marriages face difficulties and actually grow stronger instead of weaker?
Paul points us a way out of this. Here's what he says. He says, Wives, submit their own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, Paul makes an incredible analogy here. He makes an analogy between Christ and the church and the husband and the wife. Now, how does an analogy work out? Where, Well, Paul says, just as the church submits to Christ because Christ is her head, leader, and Christ is her, her savior, so also the wife should submit to the husband because the husband is her head, her leader. Well, wait, the husband is not her savior. The husband is not her savior. Why should the wife submit to her husband? In fact, if you stop to think about it, the husband is not a savior, he's a sinner. And if you think about it, the husband is required. The husband was the one who vowed to love the wife. He's required by God to love the wife with the utmost level of love. And so, if you just count the number of times in a day that the husband fails to love their wife, if you just count that, then that means the husband is not, is not a savior. In fact, the husband is the chief sinner. He's the one who has sinned the most number of times against his wife. So why should the wife submit to this man who is not a savior, but is in fact a chief sinner against her? Why? Paul says, wives submit as to the Lord. Now, he's not saying that the husband is comparable to Christ. Of course not. He's saying that wives submit because they're doing it for the Lord. They're doing it as a duty to the Lord. They're doing it for Jesus, who is her Savior. See, virtually every marriage is broken. We understand that. Every marriage is broken because, you know, every man, every woman is broken. So as they come together, all marriages are broken. Now, granted, there are some marriages that are more broken than others, yes. But the reason why believers can behave differently, can rise above that level of brokenness that they should be in, the reason they can rise above that is because they have Jesus Christ. Jesus is their Savior. And Jesus does not just save us from the penalty of sins in the far future from hell. Jesus saves us even now from the power of sin in our marriages. Jesus saves us now from the vicious cycle of mutual destruction in our marriages. Jesus puts a stop to that and saves us because he says we no longer have to be defined by the failure of our spouses. We no longer have to be defined by the sin in our hearts. We can be defined by his perfect saving love. And so we love and serve and submit as to the Lord. See, sure, 
granted, your spouse may be a great sinner, just like me, just like you, just like everyone else, right? But we have Jesus. And if you believe in Jesus, that means you are part of the church. And the church is His bride. And He is your groom. Jesus is the true and better husband that you ultimately need. He's true and perfect. He's wise and loving. He gently corrects. He gently guides you. He listens to you. He understands you. He sees you where you are. He provides for you. He protects you. He is the perfect husband that we need as the church. And because we have His perfect saving love, if we can just sense that every single day, our self-centeredness can melt away. It can melt away. And we can stop obsessing about our needs and our, and our own little things. We can stop obsessing over that because Jesus fulfills everything. Jesus satisfies us every day. And so we can go to our marriages and we can, tr- and we can go in with a focus to fulfill our God-given roles. For wives to submit, for husbands to love. We can go in with that focus because that's what Jesus wants. And Jesus has given me everything I ever need to be happy, to be satisfied, to be blessed. See, you know what this means? This means that your spiritual walk with Jesus always has a direct impact on the health of your marriage. Always. And so if you're married, if there's any problems at all, you know what's the first step? The first step is always to look at your spiritual health and your, the spiritual health of your marriage, right? So many frictions in our marriages would have gone over a lot smoother if we were just rooted deeply in the love of Jesus Christ, right? I'm not saying it would all be eliminated. Of course, there will still be problems to be solved. There will still be disagreements, of course. But so much friction would be a lot smoother. There would be so much less heat and hurts and havocs if we were just rooted in His perfect saving love. Now, if you're single, you know what that means. That means, truly, 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 the most important thing you can do right now is to start developing your spiritual life. And that's not just, you know, a cliche. That's, that's the most practical, realistic thing to do. You want to prepare for your marriage? You want to smooth over your relationships? Focus on your walk with Christ. Nothing else is more important. And I'm not joking. That's not a cliche. That's a practical thing to do. And what you want to do is you want to look for a partner who is committed to Christ as you are. Because listen, marriage, like I said, is hard enough as it is. You want someone with you who can also draw out supernatural strength from Christ who is also getting direct direction from Christ himself. So that together, as you become one, you can face the difficulties of marriage together and grow stronger. See, the health of your walk with Christ has a direct bearing on the health of your marriages. You know why? Because that is the master's design. 
God decided to be that way. God designed marriages, human marriages, to be the clearest and most powerful expression of our union with Jesus Christ. See, that's what Paul says here. Paul says the mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, what's the mystery here? What's the mystery that Paul is talking about? about The mystery with, with how two can become one flesh, and how it refers to our union with Christ. Without the reunion of Christians, the church, and Jesus Christ. There's a mystery there. Now, I won't dive too deep into that anymore, but what does this mean, practically speaking, for us? Well, let me end with two practical things here. On the one hand, this means that our union with Jesus Christ has a direct bearing on the union of our marriages. Now, here's what I mean. How were we united with Jesus Christ? How did Jesus save us and unite us to him? Well, Jesus sacrificially used his headship to lay down his life for us. Jesus sacrificially submitted himself to the Father's will, even death on the cross. And through that, Jesus unites us to him and his perfect saving love. And so, in the same way, in our marriages, the husband is called to sacrificially use his headship to love his wife. And the wife is is called to sacrificially submit himself to the husband's leadership. In other words, as Tim Keller said, both the husband and the wife both of them get to play the Jesus role. In other words, do you see that your role, whether it's husband or or wife, your role in a marriage, how you fulfill that, how you do that, is one of the greatest ways to truly follow Jesus Christ. It's one of the greatest ways to follow Christ, to honor Christ, to serve Christ. Do you see that? Once we see that, then we'll have a greater motivation and have a greater sense of mission inside our marriages and we'll honor Christ and please Him and He will rejoice in us. So that's on the one hand. On the other hand, on the flip side then, this also means that our union in the marriage has a direct bearing on our union with Jesus Christ. And here's what I mean. If you have a rough marriage, right? And that's a very real reality. You might just have a very rough marriage. Then you can have that rough marriage drive you deeper into the love of Jesus Christ. See, you're not finding it here. You're not finding it in your marriage. You're not finding the love and the acceptance and the and the and the appreciation and the intimacy that you're looking for in this marriage, let that drive you deeper into the love of Jesus Christ because in Him, you find it. You find it above and beyond what you'll ever, ever need. You'll find in Him the comfort and the intimacy and the love that you need. Now, 
Maybe you don't have a rough marriage. Maybe you have a great marriage. Well, let that great marriage drive you deeper into the love of Christ. You know why? Because you, more than most people know, that no matter how good your spouse is, and no matter how great your marriage is, sweet it is, it's just not enough. You know by experience that no matter how great your marriage is, it does not ultimately satisfy. It does not ultimately answer your greatest longings in life. Only Christ can. And therefore, let the greatness of your marriage show you your desperate need for Christ and let it drive you deeper into His perfect, saving love. See, whatever season of life you're in, maybe, maybe whether you're in a rough or great marriage, whether you're single, widowed, just about to marry, whatever it may be, in whatever season of life, may you find yourself being driven deeper into the love of Jesus Christ. Because there and only there can you be satisfied. And there and only there can you face the difficulties of this life and grow stronger instead of weaker and grow more humbler and wiser and kinder and find your joy and happiness in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your time of speaking to us today. Lord, we submit to you our marriages. We submit to you our spouse. For those of us who are single, we submit to you our plans to get married. We submit to you our desires. Lord, we come to you asking for your guidance, asking for your power, asking for your wisdom. We come to you, Lord, because we know these things are too complicated these things are too difficult without your help but with you lord nothing is impossible we know that you are more than enough you're able to answer far more than we can imagine right now thank you father we pray lord that you help us in our marriages in our families help us to love even when we are not loved Help us to appreciate and speak the truth, even if we feel no appreciation for that. Help us, Lord, to serve humbly, not looking to be served, but looking, Lord, to love them, Lord, unconditionally. Thank you, Lord. We, we do all these things and we pray all these things for the glory of your name. All these things we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our perfect Savior, in his name. Amen. Thank you for joining our online worship. I hope this blesses you and your marriages. God bless you.